0: Should I pray and we get started with the final message of the Ten Commandments? Father, uh, what a sweet series this has been to see what you call us to do. You command us to do certain things, and you are the best at it that you summarized in less than 50 words what we should do uh, here on earth to prepare us for Jesus and to prepare us for the one day when we get to see you face to face. We long for that day. We thank you for what this day means. We thank you for what this upcoming Holy Week means. We thank you for what Easter means. And I pray that we wouldn't just get excited about Easter and that one Sunday, though it is very important that we would stay excited because you are so great. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. We set out this semester on a three-part journey through the spring. We're calling it Old School Theology, uh, that there's a lot of New Age talk. And I wanted to do a series on the old school theology, looking back to move forward. And the overview of that is we were going to look at in a few months, the Apostles' Creed. The next series, uh, right after Easter, is the Lord's Prayer. But we began with the Ten Commandments. And if you open your Bibles to Exodus 20, we've spent 11 weeks, and this will be our 12th week in one chapter, basically the 21st, 21 verses of that chapter. There's 26 total. And it began with in 21, and God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he would give the Ten Commandments. And we're calling these, uh, we're holding up the rules. They are rules, but they do set us free. They lead us to Jesus. And uh, as we began that series, we looked at kind of the classic picture of the Ten Commandments. You see them on uh, two stone tablets. And that comes from Exodus 31, where God had written on two stone tablets. And so you often see these outside of churches or sometimes on state capitals or somebody taking them down from state capitals. And people make a big to-do about them. uh, And they think if you remove the Ten Commandments, you're removing God from society. That's just not true. Uh, If we would live the Ten Commandments, uh, that would make more impact than just the showing of them on stone. That same week, we showed you some uh, humorous commandments. Uh, the hillbilly Ten Commandments, uh, ain't but one God, honor your ma and pa, no telling tales or gossiping, get your hide to Sunday meeting, I like that one particularly, ain't nothing come before the Lord, no fooling with another feller's gal, no killing except for critters, uh, quit your foul mouthing, no swiping your kinfolk stuff, and don't be hankering for it, it, for it neither, all right, those are funny. But here's how the world looks at these Ten Commandments. They call them Ten Suggestions, or may I say Ten Speculations. There may or may not be a God. Um, All roads lead to him or her, if there is such a thing. Uh, God, if existing, is man-centered. He's about us. Rest and devotion to any God are for the lazy and weak. Those older than us slow us down. We live in a youthful culture, right? Life is not sacred, and we choose that. And adultery and all other forms, I I wish I would have changed it before now, I was thinking about it, but adultery and every other form of uh, unbiblical sexual relationship, that's the new sexuality. Take what you want, you're entitled to it. Truth, truth is relative, and this is your best life now, so live it up. Uh, Those are not so funny, though there's a sense of humor in them. What we see, though, in that first table, the first four, we see the love to God. There's one God who exists. We called that in the first week or the second week in the series the exclusivity of God. There is one God. There are not multiple gods. Two, this one God is incomparable. We called that the incomparability of God. He doesn't compare. We shouldn't make idols. He's not a big grandpa. And all those other images that we conjure up are wrong. He's incomparable. Use the scriptural language was my uh, challenge to us. Father, uh, use the warrior language. Just base it in the scripture. That is the safest way to keep from making idols. The third, this incomparable God should be spoken of with relevance. There's a reality to him. He's not just the man upstairs, and we shouldn't speak about him flippantly. And this revered God should have first place in our lives, that he should be a priority. He should come as number one. That is the first table. The second is the love of God to man, that we looked at one week, the authority in life, and that begins in the home, that moms and dads, play a special role in raising up children. And they are, as God is the authority over all the earth, He has made parents special and we honor our father and mother. And then the sanctity of life, that we believe that life is valuable and should be protected. And then there was the purity of life. And that we saw in the sanctity of life, we saw the deeper issue, that those who kill comes from a heart of anger And in the purity of life, we saw that sexual relationships between a man and woman in a covenant of marriage is wonderful, but we saw the bigger heart of that is desiring someone or something that isn't ours. When James said, you adulterous people, he was saying that to all of us. And then there's generosity in life. We shouldn't steal, but we should give and give abundantly. And there is a veracity, a truth to life, that there is truth. It it does exist. We can know it and we should live by it. And finally, last week, we looked at joy in life. Your heart will never be satisfied unless it is satisfied in God. And so you can summarize the Ten Commandments like this. The one God who is incomparable should be treated as holy and made a priority. Knowing this, we should love and glorify God by building a society that honors life, relationships, property, and the truth with hearts satisfied in Him. That was our summary of the Ten Commandments. And about the Ten Commandments, there's Two sides to a this coin, so to speak. There's this external aspect. There's this action that you should follow. You should not kill. But the internal at motivation, the heart behind it, is that we shouldn't have hearts of anger in that particular commandment. But every commandment has an external action and an internal heart motive. There's also a negative aspect. Here's a sin to avoid, but then there's a positive Character to embrace. So Christianity and the Old Testament, which we fully believe in, that leads to us to Jesus, is not about rules. Don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, don't go with girls who do. But there's a reason. And if you're here today and you're a child, or you're still living under your parents' roof, under roof, understand they have reasons for the rules they make. And hopefully they're according to Scripture and they're there to to help you vo- avoid sins and emulate good character. There are three dimensions we found out to each of these. There's the height that these should lead us to the worship of God. There's the length and width that if we trace from Exodus 20, and we can go all the way through the Bible, we can see that these there is a particular definition of each one of these commandments and things to avoid, but they touch all sorts of other sins. But then, most important, there's a depth that Jesus often quoted these in the New Testament. He said, you have heard, but I say to you, and he's talking about the heart. So don't ever read the Ten Commandments again and think, These are just rules to follow. No, this is a hard attitude to have. And finally, there are four points when you want to talk about the Ten Commandments. There's a revelation. This shows us the character of God. There is a confrontation. This shows us our character, the character of mankind. There is instruction. There's a path to follow. And often you've heard me say during this series, though we understand without the power of the Holy Spirit, people can't carry this out. But if people would, as best they could follow the Ten Commandments. Our society would change overnight. And finally, there's a promise. There's a power to walk in, and it leads us to something. And so we've walked through 20, verse 1 and 2, and then we looked at 3, and then we looked at 4, and then 4, 5, and 6, and then we looked at 7. We looked at 8 through 11. And we looked at verse 12 by itself. Honor your father and mother. Then 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 through uh, 19. And the question is: Seven. How should we respond when you when you see these Ten Commandments when you encounter them in the Scriptures? How should you respond? It gives us the answer in 18 through 21. Now, when all the people saw the thunder, and so we're we're going to see here. Before I get into this, we're going to see the glory of God, and we're going to see the mediator of men. When when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet. And the mountain smoking, and the people were afraid and trembled, and they stood far off and said to Moses, Speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Now let's go back to 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes and the lightning, that's awkward phrasing. What what do you mean they saw? Well, this word uh, saw is, is more like perceived that they saw and heard. And so it's a collective word. They, they heard the thunder. They saw the flashes of lightning, the sound of the trumpet, and they saw the mountain smoking. So they perceived this and noticed their response. They were afraid and trembled. The only other time that they saw this in 18, the only other time they had seen this thus far was when God was dealing with Pharaoh and when he was dealing with his consuming power in the early on in the Exodus and they saw it again in you saw it again in 19 when they approached this mountain and so they were afraid and they trembled and they stood far off they were fearful what were they fearful of verse 19 and said you speak to us and we will listen but do not let god speak to us lest we die. Interesting. In all our talk about the Lord spoke to me, this one, this has to be included in there somewhere. This has to be included in there somewhere. Because when God speaks in all reality, we should fall on our faces read one commentator he made reference that most of the time you hear god speak it is loud and powerful he even made reference to that that uh, verse in in first kings where elijah was there and it talks about god came in a still small voice he said there is you can wrestle with that hebrew word because if you read it the next thing he did is he covered his face because it was probably more powerful than we've made it to be we have declawed the line of And so we should at least take this passage of Scripture into uh, consideration when we talk about God speaking to us. Because these people, when they heard God speak, they didn't want to have anything to do with it. So what do you do with that? What does Moses say in the next verse? Verse 20, he says, Moses said to the people, do not fear. They had trembled and feared, but he says, do not fear. For, the God, for God has come to test you. God doesn't tempt, but God does test. You can see that throughout all the scriptures in Genesis 22, one, The Lord came to test Abraham. This man who was growing strong in his faith, would he love me? Here's a man who didn't have a kid for the longest time, and in his old age, God gave him more than one son, and he said, take your son, your only son, and I want you to give him up for me. Would he do it? it the, the chapter begins in Genesis 22. The Lord tested Abraham. In Deuteronomy 13:13, 13, 13, God tests nations. I did this to test you. In the book of Judges, you hear about him testing them. He left people in the land to test to see if they would follow him and that they would learn war. James 2 says, when you encounter tests, do not say God's tempting me, but God tests people. Proverbs 17:3 says, the Lord tests his people. Proverbs 17.3 here. It says, The Lord tests His people. So it is good for God to test us. It is not a negative thing. The crucible is for silver and the furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. God is shaping His people. And so He says, They were trembling and in fear. He says, Do not fear, for God has come to test you. What has He come to test you about? That the fear of Him may be before you, that you may not sin. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do not fear, but that the fear of him may be before you. So what is it? Is it do not fear or is it fear? Yes. It is both. Often in the scriptures, you see these what seem like paradoxes, but it is don't fear God in a way that he could consume you or he, he acts capriciously like he's just going to be wrathful but do fear him that he is holy and powerful and altogether different than you Peter N says in his commentary do not be afraid God has given you a taste of himself so that the memory will stick with you to keep you from sinning Matthew Henry said it was a revelation of God's glory as we'll see recorded in Deuteronomy it was in anticipation of God's judgment, and it was a preparation for God's grace. And so it often uh, boggles people's mind when we talk about the fear of God because we it happens that people handle it in two ways that are wrong. <laughs> to say, say it as clearly as I can, you either get the one who says, fear God, and they say it harshly and they don't hold it together with God's love. Or you get go, those who just don't even deal with the word and deal with the definition of what it means to fear God. And they just kind of write it off because some don't want to deal with that word as it sits in Scripture. That God is a consuming fire, says Hebrews 12, New Testament. God is a consuming fire. And so one of my favorite books on that is The Fear of the Lord, The Joy of Fearing God. I love the title because it captures what it should lead us to, The Joy of Fearing God. The Fear of the Lord is a Life-Giving Fountain. And what happens is, is you get this harsh, you, you make God too harsh. And then you go to the other end and you make Him too cuddly. And we get these two, and this is the, what the world sees today. They don't have a right picture of who God is, the holy God. And I think even in the church to today, we lean a little bit more to the cuddly God than we do to, because we don't want to scare people away. We don't want to be seen as harsh. We, we kind of avoid this side. And I say, you can't do that, not biblically. I say the God has given us, as it says in his Scripture illustrations the heavens are declaring the glory of god and the whole earth is full of his glory so where do you go you've heard me say it before and i've actually thought of some more when you go to the grand canyon i won't stay long because that's my typical illustration you don't go to the grand canyon and look at yourself right hey honey put that selfie stick up get me here check that muscle out right there right in front of the, the big Grand Canyon just get the buy and you don't do that you go to the Grand Canyon to see how grand it is and there's something that draws you to it you're like this is incredible but there's a there's a right fear there if my sons and 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 my daughter if we ever go there I, I'm not going to let them you know play soccer right on the edge of the Grand Canyon Not a wise thing to do because they could fall and die because it's that big. Or last year we got to go to the ocean in California and it is a wonderful thing to see and it's fun to get in there. Lauren and I body surfed together. But then you look at how big it is and you know just how powerful it is that I wasn't taking the boys out there and saying, hey, go out, about, swim out about 100 yards and see how you do. Because it's powerful and it can kill you. When you see the Grand Canyon, when you see the ocean, you rightly fear those things at the same time you hold them in awe. And that is the biblical balanced view. Fear is a good thing in our life. It's not the only thing in our life and we sh- it shouldn't lead us but fear of certain things is good. Yesterday we're coming out of the Eisenhower tunnel and it is good to kind of fear that if I go too fast down this road, this car with that beautiful woman and these three kids is going to tip over or could we could wreck, so we're going to be cautious as we approach this descent. You would all agree with me. Especially when you go The day before, and it's snowing, (laughs) and it's even more dangerous. Do you avoid it? No, you're cautious. And so take those illustrations into mind when we talk about the fear of God. We should be cautious as we approach God. We shouldn't be flippant. We sure shouldn't be casual. Moses said, do not fear. For God has come to test you that the fear of him may be before you. And that fear, that good fear, should lead us to not sin. And so you, you may be thinking to yourself, do you, do you see that anywhere else in the scriptures? You do in Isaiah 66, verses 1 and 2. You all, it says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where there is a house you could build for me and where is a place that I may rest? And here's where, here's what Isaiah says when he records the Lord's word, word, my hand made all these things. God's hand, think about that. God's hand made the ocean. Have you ever seen those? Just raise your hand. Anybody been on a cruise on one of those big ships that are about the size of a city? Yeah. And then you see that little ship. It's a gigantic ship, but you see that on the background of the great ocean and you say, that is amazing. God's hand made. You see the Grand Canyon. How big and broad it is. That's God's handiwork. Thus all these things came into being, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. And don't forget, the people had been trembling. They were afraid and trembled. This is the one to whom I'm going to look. To him who is humble and contrite in spirit. And who trembles, trembles at my word. Do, do you and I approach this Bible and tremble? Do we tremble before it? When it says, you shall not do this, do we go, I need to stop, consider my ways, and either thank God that I don't need to change that or ask God to enable me to turn and repent and go a different direction? And do we tremble at his word? You see it in Isaiah and you see it in the New Testament. I mentioned Hebrews 12, but you see it also in Matthew. Do not fear those who can kill the body and cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Wow. Let us not be harsh when we speak this to people, but we're not certainly going to overlook it. We can't. We should tremble. That's how they did when they saw the commandments. When they saw the glory of God as he gave these commandments, they said, we don't want to have anything to do with him. You go for us. Which is interesting. What they implied there is we need a mediator. We need one to go. And so in verse 21, it says, Moses drew near. The people stood far off while Moses drew near to the thick darkness where God was Moses drew near as one as a type of one who was to come he drew near he went and he interceded for the people and so you get in 21 and t- through 31 you get the the directions on how to build the tabernacle and the altar and the priestly garments. And you get the consecration of the priests. You get uh, a holy ab in Be- Bezalel, who build this. You get this more direction on the Sabbath. And then you get the people in 32 who, who said, You go before God, we can't do it. And then in 32, when they saw that Moses had delayed coming down, their hearts wandered. We're, we're not even, 12, ver- 12 chapters later, and it shows that these people's commitment, we want to follow God, can wane. And the same thing happens to us. And so it, what happened in Exodus need to be needed to be restated in Deuteronomy. You see this in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the restatement of the Ten Commandments. And you get the Ten Commandments there, and then, Look at this response in Deuteronomy 5.22. These words the Lord spoke to all your assembly at the mountain out of the midst of the fire, the cloud and the thick darkness, with a loud voice, and he added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone and gave them to me. As soon as you heard the voice of the midst of the darkness while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and greatness. That's what they were seeing. With the loud flashes of light, the loud thunder and the flashes of lightning, they were seeing his glory and his greatness. And we have heard his voice out of the midst of the fire. This day when we've seen God speak with man and man still live. Now, therefore, why should we die for this great fire will consume us? If we hear the voice of the Lord our God anymore, we shall die. Again, think you need to consider that when you talk about God speaking in your own life. For who is there of all flesh that has heard the voice of the living God speaking out of the midst of the fire as we have and still live? They would say, no one. Go near and hear all that the Lord God will say and speak to us, all the Lord your God will speak, and we will hear and do it. So they had said that, and then their hearts waned. And here in 28 of Deuteronomy 5. And the Lord heard your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the words of the people which they have spoken to you. They are right in all they have spoken. And this 29 is a wonderful verse. This is God's heart for his people. Oh, that they had such a heart as this always, always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it may go well with them and with their descendants forever. That is one of my new favorite verses in the Bible. This is God's heart. Oh, it's coming from the soul of God. Oh, that they should have such a heart always. What? To fear me, not in a harsh, uh, that I am capricious in the way I act, but they would rightly revere me of how holy I am and how great I am. And that they would then keep my commandments. Why? That it may go well with them and their descendants forever. God has built into life, and we are not health and wealth, but we have gone too far in trying not to be health and wealth to to see God has built into life that when we are obedient, it's not always one for one, but it is just better. It's just better. So don't walk out of here ever and think, because I said, go be obedient that God owes you anything. He doesn't. But life is just better when we follow God. And he holds up these rules to set us free. Why would we go down the road of adultery and complicate things? That is crazy to me. Why would we go down the road and complicate things by stealing and embezzling? That's just crazy to me. Why not go down the road that God has laid out? Go and say to them, verse 30, return to your tents. But you, Moses, stand here by me, and I will tell you the whole commandment, and the statutes and the rules, and you shall teach them that they may do them in the land and that I am giving them to possess. So this is given again, going back to the beginning. This is given to a saved people. This is not given to a people who had to earn their salvation. They had been saved by grace through faith as an interceder went and parted the sea, and they walked through on dry ground. You shall be careful, therefore, to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. You shall walk in all the way the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live. When we follow God's commandments, we really live. You want to really live in your life? You want to really live? The world's telling you, you want to really live? Walk away from God. Walk away from the commandments. I'm saying, the Bible says, if you really want to live, be obedient. Oh, but that's that's kind of boring. No, it's not. I've been married for the, to the same woman for 16 years. Some of you look at me and go, I've been married for 32 years. I got it. I hear you. You have a better testimony than I do. But life is not boring with one woman. I assure you. Proverbs 5 tells you that. Carry on. Right? You shall walk in the way that the Lord your God has commanded you, that you may live. And that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land that you shall possess. Now, I show you all of Deuteronomy 5 because we often go straight to 6. But you see, here are the Ten Commandments, and he says, go do this. And then in 6, you see what he says here. Now, this is the commandment. He's going to give you the great Shema and the chosen nation. This is the great commandment. The statutes and the rules that your Lord God has commanded me to teach you that you may do them in the land which you are going over to possess it. So God gave it to Moses. Moses rightly gives it to the people. Here again, that you may fear the Lord your God. You and your son and your son's son. So we are to pass it on. I'm teaching them. And Lord willing, should they get married, they'll go on and they'll teach their children, right? By keeping all the statutes and commandments which I command you, all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly. Listen to the language of just the positive aspect of walking with God. As the Lord your as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. And here then is the great Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Deuteronomy, if you ever want to See the law, you ever want to see does God command heart obedience? Just do a word study through the book of Deuteronomy and see how many times the word heart is used. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I've commanded you today shall be on your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk to them when you sit in your house. I say it a meal. When you walk by the way, as you go to get the paper. When you lie down, as you put them down to bed and when you rise as you rise in the morning you shall bind them as a sign on your hand they shall be as front lines between your eyes make them abundantly clear and you shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates now here's where people get crazy let's put scripture on the doorposts and then god will bless us even more okay do it he may or may not but if you want to put it on that's not what that means though that's what they did what it means is Let the Scriptures be so a part of your training your children that it's everywhere and they can see it and they understand it. And then he finishes that chapter and he goes into another chapter and he talks about a chosen people. Verse 7 of chapter 7, It was not because you were more in number than any other people. The Lord has set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loves you. God loves you. Have you heard that in a while? God loves you. God loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And he's keeping an oath, and he swore to the fathers, the Lord has brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore, this is God, loving you, that the Lord your God is God, a faithful God who keeps covenant and steadfast love to with those who love him. And keep his commandments to a thousand generations. And he repays to their face those who hate him by destroying them. And he will not be slack with one who hates him. He will repay him to his face. That is that this is that God of love, and he is a God of holiness, and he's a God of justice. You cannot separate it. You have a holy and just God, and you have a merciful and loving God, and they all fit together perfectly in this one God of the Bible. You shall therefore be careful to do the commandment and statutes and the rules that I command you today. Those were given to the right people for the right reasons at the right time. And though all should keep them, we realize we shouldn't expect uh, non-believers to keep them all or even have the proper motivation when they do keep them. We'll see that next week. But left to themselves, they could do nothing. And they went on from here They needed an intercessor. You saw as they would go on from there that Israel needed an intercessor. Moses even said this, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. So Moses wasn't the end. That is one of the things I would say to my Jewish friends. Moses wasn't, he didn't even claim to be your final person. He will raise up a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. And it is him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let me not hear again. There you see it again. The voice of the Lord, my God, or see this great fire anymore lest I die. The Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers and I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Who is that? It is Jesus Christ who brought the good law and he and he fulfilled that good law first timothy one says we know that the law is good paul had said it in romans the law is good and holy and right if one uses it lawfully understanding this the law was not laid down for the just but for the lawless and disobedient for the ungodly and for sinners for the unholy and profane for those who strike their fathers and mothers for murderers for the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Notice he threw in that whatever else so somebody wouldn't make this list and say, well, I've kept this list, whatever else. And this law was in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I've been entrusted. And so the law does its job and he leads us to Jesus. In First Timothy 2.5 says, for there is one God, And there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus came some 2,000 years ago, and we will celebrate it next week, that he gave himself as a ransom for all. Thus, Jesus is the one who fulfilled the law. And we know that he fulfilled the law because he said it himself in Matthew 5, 17. Do not think I came to abolish the law or prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so Jesus came and he fulfilled them. You can take the Ten Commandments and Jesus Christ fulfilled every one of them. Jesus always put God first. He always put God first. In Matthew 4, 10, he told Satan, you shall not worship anything else, but you shall worship the Lord your God alone. Jesus never made an idol. Someone came to him and said, teacher, good teacher, he never diminished God. He never made him something smaller. He said, no one is good but God, Mark 10, 18. Jesus hallowed his father's name, Matthew 6, 9. This is how you pray. Jesus kept the Sabbath. And what he did on the Sabbath is he kept it according to biblical law, but he broke all the Pharisaical traditions. And he broke them on purpose to show your tradition is not what saves you. God is what saves you. Your tradition doesn't show me you have a heart for God. It is a broken and contrite spirit. He said the Son of Man is the ruler of the Sabbath. Jesus honored his parents, even as a kid, knowing who he was. Did you not know I had to be about my father's house? I was in asking questions, but it says in Luke 2.51 that he continued in submission to them because he understood God's authority. Jesus Never had an angry thought, though he got angry. It says in Mark 3, 5. Grieved, angry at their hardness of heart. Jesus got angry. We wanted, sometimes we want to say, oh, Jesus never, he got angry. But it was a biblical anger. He got angry at the right things, and he handled it in the right way. Jesus never had a lustful thought, though he defended those who did. And so he goes to the woman, quote, caught in adultery. And he convicts everybody, even her. Go and sin no more. Jesus never stole a thing. It's interesting to me; he never stole a thing. But in Matthew 17, he'll even perform a miracle to come up with his tax money. I would like to be able to do that. That would be kind of nice. Tell you what, you know, call up Mike Pittman or Mike Mansfield. Why don't you guys go fishing? <laughs> Just throw it in there. You're going to catch something. It's not going to be uh, rainbow trout. It's good. Well, actually, you're going to catch a fish. And then in that fish, it's going to be a little heavier, and this will be my money for my taxes this year. Jesus didn't have to steal anything. He never lied. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, they shall know the truth, and the truth shall set them free. And Jesus never desired anything but God's glory, even towards the end of his life. Father, glorify your son that you may be glorified. And so he fulfilled these not only in action, but from the heart so you can see that because of who Jesus is and what he did uh, the 10 commandments are for us they are not just some neat passage in the old testament that we encounter every now and again the net bible says this it will not be hard to expound the passage of the 10 commandments once their place in scripture has been determined they are they for the most part are reiterated in the new testament in one way or another usually with a much higher standard. Much higher standard. Because it's not just outward obedience, it's the heart motive that requires the intention to the spirit of the laws. Thus, these laws reveal God's standard of righteousness by revealing sin. It is okay to talk about sin, because if we don't talk about sin, we never need to talk about a Savior, and Easter loses all of its luster. They talk about sin. No wonder the Israelites were afraid when they saw the manifestation of God and heard His laws. When the whole covenant is considered preamble and all, then it becomes clear that the motivation for obeying the commands is the person in the work of the covenant God, the one who redeemed His people. And I love what it says here. Obedience, this is great, then becomes a response of devotion and of adoration to the Redeemer. I want to obey. He loved me so much, I want to obey. Not if I obey, then He'll love me. No, it's He loved me so much, I want to obey. It becomes a loyal service, not enslavement to laws. The point could be worded this way. God requires that His covenant people, whom He has redeemed, and to whom He has revealed Himself, to give their absolute allegiance and obedience to Him. This means they will worship and serve Him and safeguard the well-being of each other. That it's not just about us. It trickles over into others, i.e. the church. And so these, my friends, these are the disciplines of grace on the path of life. Notice, you shall have no other gods means you have me. You don't need anything else. You don't need to make idols. You have the Bible. I have revealed all that I want you to know of me in these 66 books. Don't take my name in vain. You're my representatives. Let the world hear of me in a way that they would revere me and keep the Sabbath. Time with me is best. This is God talking, not me. And so in 5 through 10, honor parents. I'm building a society, and it begins in the home. Do not murder. Life is great. Life is great. Uh, One of the greatest things, I I guess I'm getting old, and that's good. We're, We're talking old school. But one of the greatest things is just to hear my children speak or sing or do something. And I just smile. I'm just like, they're, they're kids. They're, life is great. It's great. And it just, you pause and you go, God is good. He's given us life. Life is great. No adultery. Marriage is great. I already made reference to that. Marriage is great. And if your marriage isn't great, maybe it's time to go, hmm. Maybe I need to pause and reflect on I'm too focused on myself or I'm too focused on something else. Maybe I've missed what God has God has built into. God has built into that covenant that I made so many years ago. God's built into that life and joy and happiness. And I've let other things get in the way. Maybe it's time to stop and say, hmm, marriage is stealing. Let's not steal. Why? Because ownership's important. Ownership's important. God's built it into the fabric of life. Don't lie because truth matters. That's one of the things we say at our house. We do not lie because truth matters. Satan is a liar. Satan is the father of life. Truth matters. And coveting. I'm all you need. You don't need anything else. You don't need another whatever. You don't need anything. If you have food and clothing, clothing, that's all you need. But honestly, If you have salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, you don't need a thing. Take it. Take all my money. Take take my house. If If you had to, I'd put my life down for my family. But you can't take away my salvation. I got it. It's gold. No one. I have them in my hand and no one, not even you, not even you in your own life. No one can snatch them out. I am not bigger than God. I cannot jump out of his hand. I am his and he is mine. And he's got me for eternity. That's cool. I don't need anything else. Would other things be nice? Absolutely. But I don't need. Anything else. And you're saying, okay, this is great, but how do I do this? You said I needed a mediator. You're right. Ephesians 2 For through him, (laughs) through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. Ephesians 3 In whom we have boldness and access. Absolutely go to God. You have bold access in confidence through our faith in him. You can walk in the disciplines of grace because you have access to the Father. Because of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 4.16. Let us then, because of Christ, draw near with confidence. Or with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Friends, brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you need mercy, and you need grace, and you don't know whether it be your marital relationship, relationship with your kids, somewhere at your job, whatever's going on with a estranged neighbor, whatever it is, if you need mercy, you can go boldly to God. You can talk to Him. The same God who came in, in the lightning and in the thunder, who is a consuming fire, He will hear you. And you can approach Him through Jesus Christ. And if it's a time of need for you, He'll give you mercy. He'll show you grace. What should we do then? That's individually, what should we do then as a community? Hebrews 10, 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus. No more need for a sacrificial system. It's done. No more need for a mediator like Moses. He was just a type of the one to come. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, listen to these words in 22. Same words you see in Exodus 20. When he said, that's Genesis. you got to learn to read your Bible. Maybe I need glasses as I get older. The people stood far off while Moses drew near. We don't need a Moses anymore. We have Jesus, 22. Let us draw near. How do you draw near? With a true heart and full of assurance of faith. With a heart sprinkled clean from evil. Oh, I'm clean. You mean to tell me I don't have to live in the past? Yes. You mean to tell me all that junk in the past that I thought I wasn't good enough? Right. It tells you you're not good enough. But it doesn't. You're not guilty. Your heart has been sprinkled clean in full assurance of faith, heart sprinkled clean, and an evil conscience and our bodies are washed pure with water. You're pure. And let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for He who promised is faithful. We're, gonna, we're not letting go of that. We're not letting go of that. We'll let go of everything else. We're not letting go of the faith, the salvation by grace alone through faith alone. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Stir one another up. That means poke and prod a little bit. Go look at the Greek. Not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some. It's hard to preach this s- verse to you because you're here. <laughs> I would like to preach this to those who don't make it a habit, who come, who come, who'll come? come next week. I love them. I do. I just want them to come the whole time. I want to see their lives changed if you'll come more than just... Keister, more than just Christmas and Easter. Just come, give yourself, give it a year. Just give it a year with God, see what happens. Not neglecting the meeting together, as is the habit of some. Even then, this is, this is New Testament. This is like not even uh, 70 years after Jesus has passed away. They had already started to say, you know what, man? There's a lot of things to do on in Sundays in Jerusalem. I mean, the soccer team's playing and they neglected meeting together. Instead of that, let's encourage one another. Why? And all the more because the day is drawing near. He's coming back. He's coming back. And so I'll conclude with this. The law is good. It's not a bad thing. The law was given and it's founded upon grace. The function of the law is good. Its foundation is grace. And the purpose of the law. Is to restrain evil. That's a good thing. I love it when, when non Christians or people, oh, we shouldn't um, legal, we shouldn't legislate morality. You've already done it. There are laws on the books about not murdering. It's okay. It's a good thing. It restrains evil, and it's a rule of life. It'll guide you. You need to make decisions. I think God is the greatest essentialist that ever lived. That He took the Ten Commandments, and I hope you've seen through these eleven weeks. There's a lot more to it than just "Thou shalt not kill." but it goes down to the heart of anger. And he, he, he put it in such concise form that it's a path to walk on. And best of all, it's a mirror. You, you look at it and you go, man, I fall woefully short. And then I should rightly respond like they did. What am I to do? And say, ah, but Jesus is the better Moses. And he went for me. And so the law is a tutor that leads us to Jesus. So I'll leave you with this. We've got the 66 books. This is God's primary means of communicating with us today. Tremble at this word. Trust in your mediator, our mediator, and live out the law and the power of the gospel. Father, help us today. You have not left us without a witness in your word. You've not left us without a savior in your son And you have not left us without the power to do this in the third person of the Trinity, your Holy Spirit, whom you've sent to reside in us. Help us not to grieve him. Help us not to um, quench him. But let us, like Paul told us in Galatians 5, let us walk by his power that we might not gratify the desires of the flesh, but what we might do is honor you in all that we do pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.